So Keith Irons, welcome to um, The Journey. And let me just mention a little bit about what The Journey is. Um, The Journey is... um, uh, an opportunity for me to meet individuals and hear about their story of, of their life and where they where they've been and what maybe what obstacles um, they may have come across, what victories they may have had, but most importantly, what did they learn um, along the way and. As we know that sometimes those obstacles or those stumbling um, may sometimes be their greatest teachers. And so essentially that is what the journey is. Um, and uh, so I, I, I thank you for being here. I know we have a mutual friend that uh, that uh, that uh, connected us and uh, and then we got to meet a little bit about a week ago. And so but I, I am grateful that you're here today and I'm grateful that our listeners will get to know you as a person and get to know a little bit about your story and journey. So. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to the experience. So, um, well, why don't we start off with this? Because I usually like this, originally start off with this question of, so what does Keith do for fun? What, is, uh, what do you do for fun? When you have an opportunity to have some fun, what, what's fun? What's fun is uh, my outlet is running. Okay. I've been running all my life. All right. From the time I was six years old, and, and even at this age, I still run. That's my outlet. Okay. Okay. I don't have hobbies and things like that, but running is my outlet. The other outlet, of course, is uh, I do some writing, uh, publish one book, have another one under consideration being published, and I I use that as an outlet. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the running. So you got started running when you were six. and uh, For pleasure. Just for pleasure. Okay. I could never understand why people would walk when they could run. <laughs> okay. All right. And then I started running competitively later in life. Well, I ran competitively all through the school years and then started raising sons. And there was a period of time I wasn't able to devote the full time to it. Uh, following that time, as they were growing up, I started running competitively. Gotcha. Uh, competitive marathons and competitive t- 10Ks and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. And and you said uh, growing up. Where Where's growing up? Where did you grow up in? Grew up in central Illinois on a farm. Okay. And that was a great experience, by the way. Uh, it, it's a learning experience in itself. It's a very basic way of life. And... Uh, had some, I think it brought value mm-hmm. to my life. And what what kind of farming? This was your father's farm. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. And what kind of was it? Crop farming? Was it uh, was it livestock? All of the above. Oh okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, and and when you think back about that, and and I have a little bit of experience with that. My uncle was a dairy farmer, and I would go and visit him in Southern Indiana, and my. Uh, um, uncles on my dad's side were had small i guess you would be quote the farmats they were under 100 acre farms um up in southern wisconsin um, so i got some exposure to that but nothing that would i think would be equivalent if i was living at a, as a as a as a farm family i don't know what that was like i got little little exposures uh if i when i was helping out on the dairy farm certainly uh, and uh, so w- when you think back to that time period growing up um uh, what what would be some of the 
some of those things that stand out to you regarding like a memory regarding um, or, or maybe a lesson learned uh, during that during the time period of growing up on the farm? Well, I learned most of all the value of hard work. My father was probably the hardest working human being I have ever met. Mm-hmm. He also lived to be 104. And I look back and say, one of the reasons I believe he did is because of that. And I have a philosophy toward work. Uh, I believe that humankind is intended to work. I also think that all work should be productive. I think all work should contribute something back to society. It should be challenging. I also think it should be rewarding. And so therefore, I don't find work be onerous. I find it as a way of life. That's what I got from the being on a farm. Sure, sure. I, um, I, I know thinking back... Um, my, I, I got my work ethic modeled to me by my father as well, and, ah. and he worked um, uh, worked in the factories. Um, oh, he, yes. he was a maintenance electrician, and we were just having this conversation the other day about um, uh, because it was a union shop, uh, you know, they had to distribute. I think that's how he said it: distribute the overtime uh, equally. And but because other uh, in, in this case, men um, who were in his department uh, would turn it down, and my dad never turned it down. Um, he would always uh, uh, have extra overtime, and so twelve-hour, ten and twelve-hour days were normal in my mind with my dad growing up. Um, and and it, 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 that was just what it was. You and he know. did that as a commitment to the family. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think kind of going along with what you said, it was a commitment to the family from a standpoint of bringing in uh, resources and revenues. Certainly. But it was also about getting the job done because there was people that were relying on him to get the machines back up and running or, or getting a, a room completed or whatever it may be. Um, he knew, as he told me the stories, he knew that other people were depending on him getting his part done. And that's part of the legacy he left with you, yeah. the value of doing that. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. So going back to being in central Illinois, growing up on the farm, but you also had um, interest in school, and athletics uh, were one of your interests in school. Uh, yes, very much so. And running was the primary, it sounds like. Um, it was. In, in high school, I lettered in four sports, football, baseball, basketball, and track. Okay. Uh, went away to, uh, to college, strictly cross-country and track. Okay. And where did you go away to, to college? Went to uh, Illinois State. Illinois State. So a Redbird as well. So I, I, yes. I graduated I yeah, as well. I did both the bachelor's and the master's there. Okay, okay. Two different times. Okay, yeah. I uh, did my bachelor's after going to a community college, and then I went there and finished my bachelor's, and then... Um, a couple years later, I went went to the University of Illinois in Champaign to get my master's there. Ah. And um, but yeah, I had some very fond memories of uh, uh, Illinois State and Normal, and um, it was a, it was a good experience there. It's changed dramatically. It, it has changed dramatically. <laughs> that is, it is, I imagine it's even changed more uh, since you've been there, and it's just changed in the last uh, thirty years since I was there. Yes. So, 
So, um, so, uh, but I also, you had mentioned to me, uh, you also had, uh, you're a veteran and, yes. and you, um, and I, and I don't remember you were in the army or what, yes. what branch? Yeah, were you? I, I was actually drafted and I went before the draft board, and they allowed me to complete my last year of school. Okay. I was a senior at that time. And so because they allowed me to do that, after I graduated, I went back and then volunteered okay. to the draft to satisfy that requirement, and I was drafted into the Army. Okay. Uh, that was during the Korean War. Okay. And, um, and what, was your, uh, what was your assignment? What did you do in, for the Army? Well, strangely, I uh, was brought in to be a uh, high-speed radio operator. I learned code. Okay. High-speed code. Okay. And it's, it's an unusual trait because it's a ear hand, not an eye hand. It's an ear hand reaction. You hear something. You record it. Sure. So it's an obsolete skill these days. No, sure. Nobody uses code anymore. You don't have to. Sure. Yeah. So when when they uh, sounds like they selected you, uh, they, you must have done some testing or they were done through testing, and then you were selected for that. So what when 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 you found out what your assignment was, um, what kind of reaction did you have to that? Acceptance. Okay. Okay. I, I, I had no reason to to doubt the selection. Yeah. Did um, and I know at least at least in my experience, there will be times where I'll accept the, I may accept this assignment uh, externally, you know, publicly, but internally, I'm going, oh goodness, how am I going to do this? <laughs> Was there any any of those uh, concerns about? The only concern was I was not the best operator. Okay. And uh, that, that would trouble me because I like to do something well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was one of these uh, you can get by uh, but never excel. Sure, sure. Well, I imagine it, there was multiple ways that would make that a difficult, that uh, would be a, a difficult experience. You have to learn acceptance. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I imagine. And how long were you in the army? Two years. Two years. Okay. Yes, I was sent overseas on a troop ship for a few weeks on a troop ship, and okay. uh, ended up in Japan for a year. Okay. And and when you think back about that experience being being in the army for two years and and during the korean war um if there was something that you would take away from that that you learned about yourself what would be something that you would have well the discipline of course is always a part of it but also the uh, the not not discipline structure, mm. the structure of the military. Mm. It works. Mm. And if you watch it very carefully, it, it, it really can be very successful. Mm. It, it is interesting when you, when you, as you said that, because I think there's a, a lot of people that may not understand how the structure works, 
because they may grow impatient (laughs) (laughs) um, because it, it, it takes time. It's not as it's not as quick as the movies may make it. Um, so. You're quite right. Yeah. No, it's, it's a learning process like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So. Again, it all gets back to your acceptance. You can fight things, or you can learn to accept them. You mm-hmm. don't may not always agree with them, mm-hmm. uh, but if you learn acceptance, you can really tolerate and live with almost anything. Sure. Sure. Well, and I and I think you know I, I've been. Um, uh, Dalton and I and, and a couple other people we've been study, studying different philosophies for a while and one of the philosophies is of stoicism and um, yes. and and I just I, a while ago I came across it but then more recently I've been utilizing it when I'm working with some of the students and the educators as we're going through this pandemic and I came across and did a deeper dive into Admiral Stockdale's um, when he talked about when he was in Hanoi as a um, at Hanoi Hilton right. as a POW, and he talked about what then later has become um, the Stockdale paradox of that 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 tension between having the resolve that you're going to persevere and get through something, but then also accepting. Uh, the the facts, as he refers to the brutal facts of of the current circumstance or situation, and yes. and and living within the tension of of the of the two of those, and not letting either one of them, um, not being an optimist, as if we're going to magically get out some at a certain date, um, but we will prevail. But that's a balance you have to achieve in order to not just survive, but to just continue living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so I think, well, I think one of the things that's a lesson that we can take from that right now in the midst of going through uh, this particular, how the virus has been impacting our society is that we don't know when it, it's going to lose its momentum. We don't know when it's you know, um, going to not have such a strong effect on on, on us as a, a society, um, we do know it will pass and will subside, but we don't know when that is. So that's, as, as, as humans, especially in modern day, um, we want to know when, right? That is correct. Yeah. And um, yes, we, we don't live with uncertainty too well. Yeah. It, it must have been easier knowing that it was only 26.2 miles um, <laughs> when you're running a marathon. It, it might have been harder if they kept moving, uh, you know, and kept saying uh, two more, now three more. Yes. <laughs> that might be a little bit harder. You can relate to that very well. Yeah, yeah. So when you got out of the military, you, you came back uh, came back to Illinois? I did. I yeah. thought I never would because mm-hmm. of the climate, but uh, I searched elsewhere and decided to this wasn't all bad. <laughs> sure, I, I, I resemble that as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, and so you, you settled back in Illinois, and did you go back to school right away, or what? what no, was I actually taught at West High School for three years. Oh, okay. And then I went during the summers, went back and picked up the master's degree at that time. Okay. I decided that uh, I looked at the future and said uh, I knew exactly how much I would retire on after X number of years of teaching school, and I didn't find that to be exciting. Mm-hmm. So I chose to go to industry. Okay. All right. 
and and so what what subject did you teach? Um, well, I was uh, I taught some of the very basic uh, industrial product I see. courses. Okay, and so that was your first post uh, post army yes. uh, job. Yes. And, and then, and then you got into industry, but, but you also must have met your wife somewhere in there. And uh, wh- what is your wife's name? Well, her current one. Oh, okay. So you've been married more than once. No, I decided that I had a lot to live for. I chose not to marry after school. Okay. I didn't get married until I was twenty-eight. Okay. By intent, and I met a nice young lady here in Rockford, and uh, we, we stayed married for. 22 years, okay. and uh, she decided that that wasn't for her. Mm, okay. I was traveling a, a great deal overseas at the time, was gone for periods of time, and that happened. So that's that that even if even like you said before, even if we can understand it on some level, it's sometimes there's a struggle with acceptance, and then at some point we have to. But absolutely, yeah. yeah. But it's it's not easy. No, but uh, it can be done. Yeah. And you had children with your first wife? I had three sons with her. Okay. And then had occasion to remarry and brought in two more sons. Okay, okay. And and so your three sons with your first wife, what what, what are their names? Where are they now? Or, or what are their names? Well, the oldest one is Lynn, L-Y-N-N. Okay. The middle one that was killed was Scott. Okay. And then the youngest one is... Uh, is, is Brian. Okay. And, and how did Scott die? Uh, in a in a fall. A, tra- a fall. tragic fall. Oh, okay. Okay. And I think you, you had mentioned you had mentioned that and, and, and that was another way our paths have crossed indirectly uh, yes. that, that you had had mentioned that he had fallen um, at what used to be the city club. Yes. At, on top of the old Amcor Bank. That is correct. Yes. 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 Which is where my wife Diane and I got married. Uh, well, we didn't get married there, but we had a reception <laughs> there. Right. <laughs> so, um, and so, and so at the time when uh, Scott died, um, were you were you remarried at that time, or were I had I was remarried at that time. Remarried, yes. okay. And 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 your second wife's name? Cynthia. 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 Cindy. Cindy. Okay. And um and then and then Cindy had two two children. Correct. And and you did you say two boys? Two boys. Two boys. And what are their names? The oldest one is Chad, and the other one is Kevin. Okay. All right. I should be able to remember that one. Right. Um, <laughs> yes, you'll remember that one. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I'll, 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 I'll spin back around um, and, and, and ask you about your, your work here in a second. But when, you know, having your, your – Scott was a, an adult when he died, um, which for some people who lose a small child um, – to some kind of tragedy or, or an illness, um, I can't even imagine what what that must be like. But um, I don't know when I talk to parents who lose a child at all, um, from whatever circumstances it are, it, it's still um, life changing. It's still hey, it's the one thing that you hope never happens. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's out of order. 
right? It's, it's out of that what we want to believe is a natural order of things. Yes. And and when you think about you in response to Scott's uh, death, any, anything stand out of of when when Scott died? Um, well, how it impacted you? Yeah, I have a strong faith, mm-hmm. and uh, at the memorial service. I invited all of the young people that were with him at the time of death to come to my house. We met because that was rather traumatic for them. Sure. And so I I felt that uh, the healing process should start with them also. Mm-hmm. I think that was pretty wise. It, well, they were nice young people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in in the in the in the midst of of reaching out and being concerned about how they were going to be right. affected by it as well, um, and then and then for yourself, um, recognizing that um, sometimes we have certain events in our life that that. Um, metaphorically stop time they cause us to pause some for some it's it's maybe an experience in the military maybe it's a divorce um, maybe it's it's a son uh, passing unexpectedly um, I have to admit I didn't experience that okay uh, my relationship with my God uh, allowed me not to uh, Go through that okay. uh, again. It's a matter of acceptance. Sure, sure. I don't always understand the why, mm-hmm. but I don't challenge it. Sure, sure. So that so that has been able to allow that to accept that there was a, some some aspect of a greater uh, something something bigger than is going on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of going talking about your experience in in industry. Yes. And um, and so kind of kind of tell us a little bit about how you go from teaching uh, teaching industry, teaching you know the concept of industry in, in high school, and then going into industry. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about your experience career wise and sure. And, well, like so many people at that stage, I. I looked at a number of different options. Mm-hmm. I chose the one here locally. It was Barbara Coleman Company mm-hmm. because of the culture of the organization. Mm-hmm. And they were very, I won't say kind, but nice to me up front. Uh, they put me on a, a training program for a period of time. I visited all of, and worked with all of the units within the company for many, many months learning each aspect, and then following that, was able to take over a department. And then then a number of departments. Mm -hmm. And then eventually a division. And then eventually five divisions with five vice presidents reporting directly to me. And then they took over the international aspect. So at a point in time, I had several thousand people reporting directly to me uh, on a worldwide basis with offices 
in Europe that I opened an office in Sao Paulo, Brazil, for the company. Okay. And so it, things happen very, very positively mm -hmm. for me. So for the listeners that are, may not be familiar with Barbara Coleman and what, what, uh, what Barbara Coleman, you know, what, what, were they, uh, what were they creating, what were they, what were they making, how were they contributing to the world, and then specifically with your division, um, what, what were you guys, what were you responsible well, one, for? Well, one of the first major responses, I took over machine tool division, still actually about on Windsor Road. Now it's Fowler Mall uh, at that time. And then following that, I continued to have a vice president running that. I took on the textile division. I took on the, uh, what we call the precision dynamics division, which was some ex-Woodward people and, and, and two other divisions. And one of the major divisions I didn't have was the environmental system. Same thing that you have in this facility. Mm. Okay. Uh, that, that was a, my counterpart. Okay, gotcha. And and when you think back on that experience with being at Barbara Coleman, and obviously you got to meet a, a lot of different individuals, got to see a lot of different things. What would you? What would be something that you that you remember about that, or you take away from that that experience? Because your work ethic allowed you. To continue to ascend uh, to to positions as doors opened up for you, um, but if you can think of something or that stands out to you that you remember about that um, that experience, I'll come at it obliquely. It was a family-owned company, the Coleman family owned it. One of the first outside board of directors that was brought into the company, a person by the name of Larry Appley. Apple at that time was chairman of the board of the American Management Association out of New York, the premier management association in the world. And so he brought an outside perspective to the company and to me. And as a result of that, we developed a personal relationship. Mm. And he became my mentor. Mm. And at a point in time, we opened an office in Florida Boca Raton, Deerfield Beach, Florida, mm -hmm. up together. And what he taught me and what I took away then from the in experience in industry is what he said is that management is not the direction of things. It's the development of people. Mm -hmm. And so entirely different perspective. So what I took to the company then was looking at the people aspect, not what we made, but who made them, <laughs> what mm. value did they bring to the process. Entirely different concept. Mm -hmm. So I left them prior to the buyout. Uh, I was one of five corporate officers that was given stock at a point in time. The only other people that had stock was the family. Mm -hmm. I left that on the table and left them because I didn't choose to see the direction of things. Mm -hmm. uh, they were in the process of being bought out. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, they were. And it cost a lot of people jobs in this community. Mm -hmm. And I 
feel very badly about. I chose not to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great experience. I left then. Mm-hmm. But it also offered me, I took over then as the CEO of another manufacturing organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, in t- here in Rockford? Not in Rockford, oh. in Oregon, Oregon, Illinois. Okay, gotcha. I, I would, uh, just when you just said that about being in manufacturing, you, you initially will think that what we do is we make things. And then you came in with your mentor. Your mentor influenced you and, and taught you and, and modeled for you that it was about the development of people. I felt so, yes. I still do. Yeah. And that must have been a pretty out-of-the-box, challenging mindset <laughs> for, for manufacturing where maybe people were even seen as uh, living widgets and, and producers of widgets versus um, that, that what, what else they could bring to the table. Sure. That's the visible side. Mm-hmm. You make things. Yeah. yeah. The part that you can't see is how is that in helping people's lives. Yeah. Because it's not just the people reporting to you. It's all the families mm-hmm. that are a part of that. So as you multiply that out, it's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you didn't say this, but there can be at times, if we don't have a, the right model to work off of, then we can feel the weight of that responsibility and in right. the pressure of that. But if we look at it from a standpoint of, developing people then we're giving them permission to be to be as great as they want to be yes oh absolutely and that people have innate capabilities too often we don't provide the opportunity for them to exercise that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a waste of talent very much so And, and just from some of the experience as you were saying that some of the experiences that I've had with seeing people grow and uh, and and pursue that's the joy of it yeah yeah let's it, it, see I have a different philosophy of life and I, I not everybody probably has taken the time to I know what mine is sure uh, Tell, to, well it's kind of a two-part okay I believe I was put on earth to do what my creator intended me to do. Now, in order to find that out, it took some time for me to develop my mission, mm-hmm. primary ongoing reason for my existence. Well, I did that. I know what my mission is. I never deviate from it. I keep it in front of me at all times. And so that mission is not to make things, not to do anything. It's to I think I'm here to uh, develop. Uh, I'll rephrase: provide human development while enhancing that ability in others, leading to mutual fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Not not just for my helping development, but to help enhance that ability of other people mm-hmm. than arriving at mutual development. Now, 
that's kind of the, the, the philosophy of, of life. But the, the other part of the philosophy is there's an exit strategy for me. Okay. When, when I exit, and I will yeah. within a short time, uh, I want to be able to leave the world a little better than when I entered it. Sure, sure. And, and you know we've we talked the first time, and then even earlier today, we talked about the idea of legacy. We did talk about that. Yeah. Yes, I, I've, I've given some thoughts since we talked because the only true legacy I believe I could leave with my children. Okay. Okay. Not anything else that I've done or through. That's that's not it. Mm-hmm. My real legacy will be through them. Okay, and and yeah, tell tell me how like when you think of the idea or in your in, in your beliefs or mind, at least as it is today, because as we know, it we may change our mind a week from now, right? We, we'll have more information, right? More insight. Um, but um, when you think of legacy, uh, what what are, what comes to mind when you think of legacy? Well, again. Back to the philosophy. When I exit this world, <laughs> the only thing I can do is to leave it a little better mm-hmm. for having been here. But the visible one will be through others. Sure. And primarily through my sons. Yeah. Yeah. And and I imagine that it, it you know your direct your direct lineage right with, yes. with your sons and the in the the, uh, the amount of time and energy um and possibly resources that you helped direct toward them and and teach them and and things like that um and but then i imagine there's also been other people when when your mentor right yes. you know his yeah. legacy was left one aspect of his legacy was left within you yeah. because that was what you then pivoted and switched or, or or maybe crystallized what you already were doing or believing in, yes. but now you could do it with greater conviction. I have left a number of people with that. If my mission is to foster human development and, mm-hmm. and helping others, so there will be a, a cadre of people out there that I've worked with that would be a part of the legacy. Mm-hmm. I will never know it, but it should be there. Yeah. And if it's a true legacy, it doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But um, be- because we've been asked to either plant seeds with individuals or help to foster that growth yes, or provide the opportunities for right. them to figure out their path yes, and then carry on. Um, I remember, I, I remember an individual when I was young, and I was in a bodybuilder, um, and even before that, when I was playing wrestling and playing football and stuff. But specifically, when I was bodybuilding, there was a group of older men who were in the gym, maybe eight to ten years older, and they, as I would say, took me under their wing and taught me what they knew about lifting weights, about and then later bodybuilding and nutrition and yes. competing and all those things. And I always felt that that, that and, and the, 
the, the timing of that and, and who was here at that time, I, 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 I know was critical in my success. Yes, now, absolutely. True, like you said, I had to do the work, but I had to listen to do the work in the right direction. Right. Right, and um, and if it wouldn't have been for that, I know I would have worked just as hard. I just would have been going in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> they can be great mentors. Yes, very much so. And um, and I had an individual when I was had the opportunity to coach later on. Um, so you know the feeling, don't yes, you? Yes, very much so. Very rewarding. Yeah, very much. And and this young man, uh, very good player, um, but he. Uh, family didn't have a lot of resources and so he, he had old shoes that were that were causing him problems mm. okay. and blisters and stuff yes. and um, so I talked with my wife and this was early on in my career where it seemed like we were counting every, every we weren't counting every dollar because we didn't have that many so we were counting every quarter <laughs> so, well, I, know, I know that one and um, and so I had a conversation with her and I said I think I think we we need to get him some shoes. I, I think we need to buy him cleats. And um, she agreed. And, um, and though she had never met him, but that I guess that didn't matter. And um, and so after a Saturday practice, um, I said, "Hey, let me give you a ride home," which probably was weird yeah. <laughs> in itself. But we went from there to the sporting goods store. How nice! And 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 we. And we picked out a pair of shoes, or he picked out a pair of, of cleats. Um, we, I drove him back, actually back to the school. Now that I think of it, um, and he goes, he goes, I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take me to repay you. M- meaning, mm-hmm. I, I assumed he was talking about monetarily. Right. And I said, well, this is on myself and my wife. Um, your repayment is. Um, not only working hard this season, but sometime in the future you'll have the opportunity to do the same thing. That's that mutual fulfillment that mm-hmm. I mentioned. As yeah. A, as my yes. Yeah. Yes, it's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. And and that was what I clearly remember that was done for me. Maybe it wasn't a pair of cleats, but it was more important they gave me knowledge that oh, yes. was invaluable. Absolutely. And, um, and, I, and I think about I think about that being part of following what God's called us to do, staying in that presence that you were referring to. Yes. And and um, and not getting distracted by, at least for me, sometimes I get distracted by the fears. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter if I know better; I still get distracted by <laughs> the thought of those those fears of either fear of something happening or not enough or whatever it may be um they aren't as those fears those things those thoughts aren't as controlling today as they used to be um i can i can ground myself faster (laughs) absolutely so um so as as you were thinking about well and i and i know and if if you're not comfortable that's okay but if if you think of like what you want to make sure that you've left your sons and I would assume grandchildren, right? Um, yes. Um, what would what would be the things that you, the seeds that you've planted with them, or I guess the word legacy that you've wanted to leave with them? What what would you say? And and has there been some 
fruition of that as you see them developed and as they've grown? Well, yeah, the value systems hmm. are critical. So but we try to instill in others a sense of values. Mm-hmm. And uh, along with that, the, the, the value of, of work itself, mm-hmm. which, which is very, very helpful. But more than anything, just the value system that, that they will live by and cascade on mm-hmm. to subsequent generations. Mm-hmm. So one of those values is work ethic. That's one. And, and, and one of the, the values is that, that the work has to not only reward the person doing the work, but then also serve a bigger purpose. It should benefit society, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and, and so then going to, and this is something that you had mentioned, because I think, I think you mentioned that you're 52, right? I'm joking. You, you told me the other day. <laughs> well, you're, you're close. If you want to double that, you're very close. But I think you, you told me the other day you were 92? 91. 91. 91. But you have a birthday coming up. In March. In March. Okay. So 91 and a half. And, um, but you, you mentioned that as far as you can tell, as long as you're able, you're going to work until? Until I die. Until you die. I have no desire to retire. Mm. I will continue to work as long as health says I can. There'll come a time when health says I can't do that. Uh, But by choice, I will continue to work. And and so tell us a little bit about the the work that you, the work that you do now, because it... Well, because age is a factor. uh, I'm too old to run an organization. Mm -hmm. But merger and acquisition, M&A, age is not a barrier to doing M&A. So I try to find companies, organizations that are wanting to exit, sell out, and I try to find buyers for them. I put buyers and sellers together and negotiate the process between the two of them. Okay. Okay. And and what, besides the, um, uh, as you mentioned, the, as you got old, as you got older, this was one of the things that you could, you could navigate through without the demands of everyday, yes. you know, job. But, but yeah. um, what else was? Was there any other reasons that that particular type of um, working in the industry or impact in the industry? Was there another any other reasons why it was that that particular area, um, mergers and acquisitions, why that interests you? Or maybe even more so, why you were called. Well, to it. number one, I try to focus on, on, for instance, if you wanted to sell your practice, I probably couldn't represent you because I don't understand that part. Of it. So mm-hmm. I try to limit the primary manufacturers that I think I know and understand. Sure. And so it it, it it tends to limit that a great deal. Uh, but also, it's it's the reward of finding a person that is of an age that needs to be divesting their company Mm -hmm. and hasn't found a way to do so. Mm -hmm. I will bring to them someone who values what they have built and, and pay them 
for the privilege of, of, of buying them out. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a benefit on both sides. Mm-hmm. One side is a relief that ah, I don't have to do this anymore. The other one said, well, I've got something I can build. Sure, sure. I remember, um, for me, um, you know, with with my with my first company that I, that I created, um, they w- they would talk about the analogy that it was like a child. Yes. And and the idea of doing it different was very fearful because of what you said earlier. It was people that I was concerned about. Yes. And my right. employees, um, my employees' families, let alone the clients, um, I was concerned about all those things. And so the right entity. That's critical. To bring the right entity, the right party yeah. to the table because I like to focus on, and I talk to each party what I'm working with them. If the cultures don't fit, don't do this. Mm-hmm. At some point in time, you're going up in a divorce. Mm-hmm. And the cultures really are, if the one who is selling, if they build a culture based upon people, they would like the new buyer to have that same mm-hmm. empathy. Yeah. And too often these days, that's if you work with organizations who don't have that philosophy, uh, I have problems with that because I, I, I can bring that same party to them, but that's the monetary side of it, but that's, that's not why I don't find enjoyment in that. Sure. Well, and I, I think about what you had said earlier about some of your own personal experiences when, when uh, buyouts happened and it affects families and it affects uh, communities yes. because of the loss of jobs instead Absolutely. of the, the, the growing of, of bringing more jobs to the location. Yes. And um and, and I think and unf- of all the lives that you're impacting. Yeah. And I and I and unfortunately I, I think and I know a lot of things contributed. It isn't just one thing, but I know that Rockford as as a as a as a greater Rockford has is now doing better in, in the recovery of that. But but there was a lot of those situations that happened that that impacted our community as a whole. Because at one time Rockford was the top of the top of the country and top of the world, and in what we did from a manufacturing standpoint. That is correct, and we've lost that now. As you say, there is a movement now here locally, particularly in aerospace. Yeah. It won't replace it, but it's helping for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be the ultimate legacy. Mm-hmm. I won't be around to see it, but. Uh, maybe that's what Rockford will stand for. Mm-hmm. It's been through a point where they were considered to be the, the furniture manufacturer mm-hmm. in the world. Then it was machine tool. Mm-hmm. Know, what else is it now? And all of those that we mentioned, they're long gone. Mm-hmm. All, all, all of the Atwoods and all of the Greenleys and on and on and all of the Barbara Coleman's and on and, and they're just they're not here anymore. And so it's kind of sad to see, but if that is what's destined to be, then we need to embrace that. Mm-hmm. 
and find out, okay, what are the new entities that are going to replace it? Sure. And the truth is, a lot of these major organizations that we used to the sizable ones, are being and they, at one point in time, it literally put a lot of what we used to call the mom pops out of business. Mm -hmm. Right now, you're going to see a resurgence of the mom pops because they can bring things back that the large organization can't. And that kind of things are service mm -hmm. and concern for people. Mm -hmm. And so there will be a whole new group of people, in my opinion, that are going to build up. The small and mediums are going to survive very well. They'll be changed, and the large organizations will be moving in a different direction. So, again, Rockford is a prime example. It's at a stage of evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so with with that, you you know, you talked a little bit earlier. And I want to kind of touch on that. Is that uh, the 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 standpoint or the the principle of not only having a personal mission? But then also, uh, regardless of how small the company is, um, that, that it also has to spend the time of understanding what is their why, what is their purpose. Well, and I probably more involved in missions than most people. I collect mission statements. Okay. People collect statements. I collect mission statements is if you look at the definition, the primary ongoing reason for the existence of the enterprise, most organizations don't know that. And working through that, you just use your personal example in Milwaukee, working on you know how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. But once you do it, it will change you yeah. completely, and you'll have a sense of direction you've never had before. So the mission to me is the is starting point with an organization. So I go through mission, goals, strategies, and objectives. Missions, why do you exist? Goals, what are the aims of the target strategies? Uh, what are the things that make, make the goal a reality? And objectives are the action steps, accountabilities, and dates that make things happen. So I put organizations through that, and now more recently I'm also putting individuals through that. But that was that will if an organization can determine its mission, it will change the direction of things and it will improve and enhance their success. Mm -hmm. No question about it. I give, by the way, I always give guarantees for everything I do. Money mm -hmm. back guarantees, everything I do. Sure. And they can measure it any way they want to. Sure. And, and as long as we agree on the measurement. The only caveat, two caveats, one is you have to follow the process if you board the process, all bets are off. The second part is it's going to take you between six and eighteen months to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know <clears throat> for my for myself personally, as well as when I've done the the process with the the specifically the companies that I'm directly directly involved with, um, either running or uh, operating or you know whatever it may be, um, that one of the big values that the mission allows me to do as the leader is then I have the story, I have a story to tell about why we do what we do. And then it, and it's a story that they can then tell and yes. see examples of why are we doing what we're doing. Oh, yes. And yeah, it, 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 yeah. Without that, it, it's 
whatever you think it is. Correct. And so then we're then able to use that to make tough decisions about what to do next and what not to do next. That's right. The mission will guide you mm. completely. Yeah. And it builds the culture. Yes. Uh, yes. The culture has to follow that. Yeah. So, so we use one of the ways that we use it at, at KP is that we, um, and, it, and it seems laborious at times, <laughs> but uh, we go th- go through it at staff meetings, um, and and have in the past we used to have monthly staff meetings and we would go over it and and in that two hour time period one part of it was um, catching people living the mission. When, when you're know, giving people, giving the staff opportunities to give examples of when they saw in the past month someone, yes. either a client or another staff person, essentially living the mission. Yes, yes, well said. And, um, and so that, that, and that has allowed me uh, to, to stay grounded and, and, and then... Um, and then to remind us when, when, when it feels like times are tough, are we still doing? Are we still doing? But you use another term in there that's so important: a process. Mm-hmm. Have to follow a process. By definition, a series of forward-moving steps that lead to a particular end, result, or condition. Without a process, it's it's whatever everybody wants to think it is. But you have to follow a series of forward-moving steps lead to a particular end, result, or condition. And if you follow the process, you'll be successful. Yeah. As long as your mission is true. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's interesting. One of my one of my staff members uh, who is in the process of who are hiring, and um, we're we're fortunate right now that we're in a hiring uh, at. at both the locations we're, we're, we're hiring oh. right now. Not only clinicians, but we're also hiring admin staff. I'm happy and, to hear that. And so that has been, uh, it has, that's been good, you know, from that end. All right. um, but one of the things that she came back with uh, that uh, that she she mentioned that they, that the person she was on the phone with started asking her questions about the company. What were the values? What were, what, what Thank you. And, and so... It, it was a springboard in which we could then have further conversation. And it that. should be reciprocal. Yep. Both ways. Yep. And uh, so that was, that was. That's, I was, a, that's very refreshing. Yeah. So that was encouraging. Yeah. Very, very encouraging. So, and it was encouraging that she was able to, even though she got caught kind of on the spot, yeah. <laughs> going from the interviewer to the interviewee, um, she was able to, because she, she knows the entity. She lives the entity. Yes, and so that, that is very encouraging. Yeah, so that that was good. So, so Keith, you had mentioned about the idea of 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 the legacy and being able uh, with you know those those seeds that we plant, you know, and those opportunities that we try to foster. Um, we do it with people that we may not know their middle names because they are either our clients or people that we know via the work platform. But then we have the ones that are in our family. And, yeah. and, and as, you, as your children are now adult children, and they have children, I'm assuming, yes. um, it, you, you talked about 
being able to leave those seeds and and now it, you've been able to see how um, you won't see all the harvest probably but you you've probably have seen uh, some of those things come to fruition and, and you talked about the values that your adult children have passed on or are living now what were some of the just for our listeners to hear because sometimes some of my listeners some of the listeners are they're in the their children are young and and so when we talk about wanting to instill values and wanting to do that um, they're in the early part of that process um, you've gotten to see uh, your your adult children uh, grow and now teach that to their children any any particular words of encouragement for young parents well assuming you know about this that I assuming that Maslow's hierarchy there and at the top is fulfillment I'd, I'd like to be able to leave making sure that they have found fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say, in this case, happiness. Well, I have that feeling, mm -hmm. and that's a good feeling. Mm -hmm. And how did you do that? I didn't do that. It happened with a lot of people's influence, but at the same time, I'm very content now that they will continue to be happy and indeed foster that in others themselves. And so that's kind of, like say, it's, a, it's a cascading process. Mm -hmm. I can look back on my grandfather. And I remember some of what he, I learned from him mm -hmm. as well as from my father. I said, okay, that put me in good stead to be whatever I'm going to be. Right. Well, I'd like to make sure that the legacy is that they, they have that. I'm, I'm so confident in that now that it gives me great comfort. Sure, sure. Well, I think that is. I think that's good. You know, that's that's good. That um, you you've you've seen a lot of things. You've experienced a lot of things. Uh, had the opportunity to be involved with a lot of things, but um, remembering what your father and grandfather and obviously other family members taught you and then yeah. you saw that live out in your life and and that formula worked well for you and um, i hope that then my sons and the grand children will pass that on yeah and future generations yeah yeah and that, that's a good feeling yeah it, and i think the combination of us being able to do it in our own uh, backyard and, yes. and then be able to also carry it out to uh, what we get paid to do uh, <laughs> in the community yes. that's uh, yes. that's that's for me that's been a good way to live yes, so, so that, that's been good so Keith as, as we as we wrap up today any any last thoughts for the listeners uh, that you'd want to share with them well you're more familiar with self-actualization than, than most people but I would urge people to look at self-actualization to be able to find, are you really secure in, your, in yourself? Or, or are you the person that you, you want to be, that you're not a, a front, 
it, it, it's for real, and that beneath all that is great substance that will always put you in good stead, but it will also cascade into others, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I would do. Yeah. That, um, that, that reminds me of uh, an idea that was taught to me. I can't remember where now, but it was taught to me a long time ago, is uh, coming to believe that process of coming to believe that God is a God of abundance and if I can stay grounded in that, then who I'm intended to be will be revealed. And you raise a good issue. I've always been concerned about the people who don't have faith. How can they live with themselves? Mm-hmm. Faith will get you anywhere. Yeah. But without it, how sad, yeah. how tragic. And there are those who are faced with all kinds of difficulties in this world that don't have the, the faith to fall back on. Without that substance, how can you how can you continue? And I do know what you mean. Um, what I've come to realize, and this may be a whole other topic for another time, but uh, what I've come to realize when I've talked to most people and listened to them is that it's not that they don't have faith. It's what do they have faith in? that sometimes throws them off (laughs) okay well said so if they have faith in a god of scarcity (laughs) then they're constantly not having enough and they're constantly thinking someone's going to take something off their plate (laughs) okay well you you phrased that very well I would encourage them to change gods (laughs) (laughs) yeah they have a false god yeah it doesn't sound too um too fulfilling, or, or, or it doesn't. It sounds like an endless, right. endless loop. <laughs> right, and it doesn't contribute. It doesn't contribute. It, it's uh, fear-based. So, Keith, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, I'm so grateful that Missy uh, introduced us, and, and and that you took the time uh, to come and meet me, and then and then took the time to come and uh, learn about this platform uh, of utilizing this yes. aspect of technology, and but but most importantly, sharing. Your, your story and some of your philosophies and what you've learned along your journey. Well, I deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. So um, just as Keith has mentioned and as we talked over this time period, um, the idea of what are some of those lessons that we have been taught by individuals? And if we reflect on, um, some of them may not have been as overt as in Keith's case, maybe some have been other types of, of teachers. And, but if we search, there may be at least one person um, that was that light in the midst of that darkness. Or as in Keith's case, there may have been um, uh, standout individuals that, that shine that light from which he could follow. Again, thank you very much and continue um, being aware and awake on your journey.